You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new documentary, Gonzo, The Life and Work of Hunter S. Thompson, our guest today, director Alex Gibney, chronicles the mythic American figure, a man that Tom Wolfe called our greatest comic writer, whose suicide by gunshot led Rolling Stone magazine, where Thompson began his career, to devote an entire issue, its best-selling ever, to the man who launched a fearless style of journalism named Gonzo. Gibney is the Academy Award-nominated director of Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room, and the director of the Academy Award-winning documentary Taxi to the Dark Side. Gonza begins screening this Friday, July 4th at the University Town Center 6 in Irvine. Alex Gibney, welcome to Film School. Hey, great to be there. How are you doing today? So far, so good. Very, very good. How much about Thompson did you know before you started making the film? What familiarized you with Thompson before this? You know, I was familiar with the contours of the legend, the wild and crazy gonzo journalist who liked to blow things up and shoot guns and ingest massive quantities of hallucinogenic drugs and, and drink more alcohol than entire uh, shipyard. And I also had read two of his books, which I loved, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, which is maybe my favorite. Uh So I knew of him and knew of his legend and knew some of his writing, but I didn't know him as intimately as I got to know him. In fact, I'd never met the man. So it was a challenge. It was, um, you know, coming in from the cold. And one of the things I was interested in was the way he broke the rules and became a, you know, a different kind of a journalist, sort of part journalist, part novelist, and somehow managed to capture the peculiar yin and yang of the American character. Now, you interviewed quite an impressive list of people for the film, both of his wives, both of Thompson's wives, Gary Hart, George McGovern, uh, Jimmy Carter, Pat Buchanan, Ralph Steadman, Tom Wolfe, Sonny Barger. Were, did all those people truly miss Thompson, or, or were some of them glad to see him go? <laughs> well, the people who were close to him gener- genuinely missed him. I mean, yeah. I think they were even though Hunter had threatened to commit suicide and, 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 and talked about it a lot, I think they were shocked, uh, maybe not surprised, but shocked and, and deeply uh, grieving. You know, they, this was a guy who meant a lot to them. And, and yeah. he was an interesting character. I mean, he could be very rude and unfeeling to a lot of people, particularly late in life. You know, he was not a particularly nice guy to be around, except to those who knew him very well. And then he could be a very kind courtly southern gentleman so there was this two sides to his character i think as a young man he was quite a seducer you know everybody was charmed by him but late in life if you didn't know him well he was a tough guy to handle in the film you you um interview his first wife uh, extensively for the film and she was able to give us an insight into the the early part of his life and 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 his early journalism career. That was very enlightening for me. She seemed to be a a softening influence on on Hunter, but eventually they seemed to drift apart. What was your impression of her and and her impact on on Hunter's Hunter's life? Well, Sandy is an extraordinary woman. I mean, she is a very smart, very sensitive and and attuned, but but also really both a 
you know, capable of, of an intimate understanding of another human being and yet had a grand sense of how uh, the world worked. Yeah. So she felt very passionately for Hunter. She loved him deeply, but also shared his passion for, for some of his causes. Yeah. And and they grew up together. I mean, they were very young when they met, and they, they lived through a lot together. And that was one of the reasons I shot her against a, a green screen, so that you could see different periods of Hunter's life sort of go by behind her, almost as if she was growing up while we watched. Yeah. We're speaking with Alex Gibney. The film is Gonzo, the life and work of Hunter S. Thompson. So much of, the, of what we assume today to be normal behavior for journalists uh, was pioneered by Hunter Thompson. Let's let's go back to the beginning of his his best known part of his career, uh, the 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 book on the Hell's Angels, and then move forward. Uh, that book was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Well, one of the key ways it was groundbreaking was because Hunter uh, hung with the angels. I mean, he went and 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 rode with them, yeah. and went out on, on on big rides with them, and and stayed up drinking with them all night. That's the kind of thing that a lot of journalists do now to sort of get a sense of a, a subculture or, or, or a crowd or a group. As Tom Wolfe says, he was embedded in the Hells Angels yeah. Battalion. <laughs> At the time, though, that was not common practice. You know, journalists were a little bit more reserved. You know, they were the ones in the press trench coats who would point their microphones or their steno pads in front of people and ask for a comment. They're not getting deep below the surface. In the film, you've got, I think it's Bill Stout, if I'm not mistaken, the, the CBS reporter who's on the back of a pickup a truck, pickup truck and, right. he's, and he's doing a story on the Hells Angels, you know, literally yards away from them trying to describe, and he's at a loss for words, and then you contrast that. <laughs> well, with, he found a word, but we can't say you, it You can't say it. And, there, and then to contrast that with Hunter Thompson, who got into the story in a, in a way that just was amazing. Yeah, it's a perfect contrast. Yeah. Bill Stout, who's a good journalist, yeah. but I mean, yeah. he's there declaiming. He's sort of giving you a lecture, and he's in the foreground. And the Hell's Angels provide sort of colorful background <laughs> for his for his story. And and you know, to some extent, that's the way TV news would continue, yeah. where where everything is all about the announcer, and everything's all about the anchor, but very little a sense of the grit and the gristle of, of everyday life. And that's what Hunter did. Now, he did filter it through his own personality, but not through a kind of made-up personality, through his real personality, uh, one which was very, <laughs> you know, mercurial. Well, yeah. I, I think it's it's difficult to really understand understate just how much of an impact I grew up during that period of time and I would I watched Walter Cronkite I watched the CBS Evening News and and the Huntley Brinkley report and all those things and at the same time I was reading Rolling Stone uh, about the about Nixon and about uh, you know politics in, in general and to see the contrast it was so stark it was so dramatically different it really fueled me personally in my politics and my perspective on politics and I think it ha- Hunter had that effect on so many people. And it's nice to see that again in your film. It, you yeah. really bring that out, and not by stating it, but just by putting it out there for all of us to see. I agree with you. He exploded the conventions. Yeah. That's what was so refreshing about it. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, Tim Krause, who wrote, went on the road with Hunter, you know, and wrote that great book, The Boys on the Bus. Yeah. You know, talked about how a lot of the journalists were really jealous of him because he was doing what they really all wanted to do, which was to tell the truth rather than be constrained by these sort of phony rules of protocol and balance. And when I say balance, I mean a kind of phony balance where one doesn't necessarily exist. Hunter was just exploding all of that and telling the truth and screaming. If he thought Nixon was a liar and a fraud and a crook, he'd say so. He didn't say, 
Today, Mr. Evidence seemed to suggest that yeah. Mr. Nixon may have blah, blah, blah. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> he called him, <laughs> he, he imagines a scene where Nixon turns into a werewolf, jumps yeah. out of the, the window of the White, White House, House, strangles the chow watchdog on the lawn, and then goes off in search of sex with Martha Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> now, now there's, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but what's the, the quote by, by Frank Mankiewicz uh, that I think sums up what we're talking about? His coverage of the campaign was the uh, least factual and most accurate coverage <laughs> yes. of the campaign. Yeah. And I think that really encapsulates so much of what Thompson did in his career. And I have to tell you real quickly, I, I still to this day refer to an article that Thompson wrote, uh, and it was the title of the article that I still use, which is uh, about Nixon. It was in sort of the end days for Nixon. It was called, The Scum Also Rises. <laughs> and 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 I still yeah. I still use that phrase because I think it's so apt and it was certainly apt in regard to Nixon. So uh. Uh, back to the Hell's Angels just for a bit. You had some footage there of Thompson riding a motorcycle along. Was was that the Big Sur coast? Yes. Well, it, it's it's a wonderful job of blending uh, reenactments with the actual documentary. In the case of that, the. <laughs> There's a long motorcycle ride, which uh-huh. we do, and, and, and it, it accompanies a famous passage from Hell's Angels where Hunter is talking about the edge, yeah. that ability to go so fast on a motorcycle where you're, you're courting death. You're mm-hmm. so close to death that you feel that, that moment, that razor's edge between life and death in a kind of a zone. And it's sort of the zone he was looking for all of his life. Yeah. And sometimes he'd reach it, and then he'd coast on that zone. That's where we went with it. And I, we felt empowered to to use sequences like that, because Hunter also was, you know, like Mark Twain, yeah. in a way, telling these tall tales. Yeah. Yes, and there's another reenactment segment where Thompson is in search of the American dream. Right, well, that's where, you know, I didn't even realize this when I started the film, but there is a chapter in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas that Hunter says was a transcription of a tape recording, and I thought that was just you know, hyperbole, that this was just witty writing, because it's all about Oscar and Hunter going to a taco stand, uh-huh. and, and they ask somebody, you know, we're looking for the American dream, and the woman says, oh, I, I know where that is, it's over by the psychiatrist's office <laughs> or on Main Street. You know, it seemed like very witty writing, but in fact, it's a tape recording, and we found it in the bottom of one of Hunter's uh, boxes, um, and we play it uh, as it as it was uh, recorded, but but we shot a home movie in effect with uh, Super Eight and actors. And first, it feels very much like a home movie, and, and the further you go into it, the more elaborate it gets with different angles um, here and there. And you, you, you realize you entered a movie, even though that the, the actual tape recording is real. So we were playing with levels of reality, and I think it's fun. Much well, like Hunter, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a terrific film. I, I really enjoyed uh, it, and I know we're 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 running a little short oh, on time here. I want to ask one yeah, one question yeah. here about uh, Gary Hart, who was uh, at one point in time uh, the uh, uh, manager of McGovern's campaign, and then went on to run for president himself. Uh, he says that uh, there's this infantile side to Thompson. Was did you find that a lot? Well, I think so. I mean, I, I think what what he said, what what Gary Hart is saying, is that. Is you know he wanted everything to be grand yeah. and glorious and great, and he didn't want anybody to compromise. He felt that that was cheap and selling out. Um, and so you know, Hart called that infantile. In some ways, that's right because in politics you have to compromise uh-huh. and you have to make deals in order to get things done. At the same time, everybody has their infantile side. It's, uh, yeah. Even Gary, even Gary Hart, as we remember from his uh, tryst on monkey business. Yeah, monkey. You know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, and can I, 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 I think that you know. <laughs> 
he, he was an intense guy. Can I inject that, that also that he was a patriot? I want I want people to come. Hunter, I, S. Pers- Thompson. Hunter Thompson yeah. was a patriot in the in the grand in the grandest sense of that word. Yeah. I agree. He would have said, you know, there was an expression at the time, "America, love it or leave it," and I think Hunter would have said, "Yeah, I agree with that," but. But he would have said that, I, you know, watch me criticize America, it's a lover's quarrel. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. he loved it, but he loved it for its best and its worst quality. Yeah, he, was a, he, he hated Nixon because Nixon embodied all of the darkest elements in his mind, the darkest elements of the American experience. And he loved people like McGovern and Carter because they were there to bring out our, our better angels. And he fell, he fell hard both ways. He either hated you or loved you uh, almost unconditionally. That's right. How did his, the way he died and his death affect his legacy in your mind? Well, I think it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I think Hunter was thinking about his legacy when he shot himself, that he was going to go out like Hemingway with a gun. But I I don't think, I mean, I I put in the comments of his son and his first wife, Sandy, at that moment in the film, and Juan, his son, talks about his legacy, how he's looking out for the legacy. But Sandy says, you know, this was not a glorious or heroic act. It was a sad act of a guy who had lost his strength and power. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, too. You know, it's true that he was in poor health, and he was certainly drinking way too much, yeah. and his mind had, had had lost its edge. And he was in a sense of deep despair about the political situation. But all of that is not an excuse. I mean, you know, he took himself out at a time not only when he could have made a difference, but when you commit suicide, it's the act of a narcissist, and I, and and I think Hunter was, in the end, a, a real narcissist. He had, you know, tremendous talent, but he was a guy who was um, self-obsessed. I urge people to check this out. Um, Alex Gibney, thank you for being here. The, the film is Gonzo. It is a complete picture of Hunter Thompson as a journalist, as, as someone we all know, but we get to know better because of your film. And uh, I want to thank you for, for the, the film, and thank you for being here on Film School. Great. Always good to be on Film School. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash Film School.